0: Good morning, church. Great to see you all. Welcome to Union Chapel on Easter Sunday. Uh, I've, I've got good news. Anyone need good news today? Anyone at all? i like to hear good news, positive news. Here's the good news. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is alive. He is well. He is on the throne of the universe today, reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is sovereign over all that exists, that includes your life and my life. You may think that you're so far from God that he doesn't notice you. Oh no, he he has you in view. He knows your name, he knows your need, he knows everything about you, and he reaches out to you wishing, hoping that you would choose to become part of his family. And we are here today to celebrate the wonderful provision that God has made for us in his son Jesus Christ, who lived who died and on the third day rose from the dead and now lives forevermore and is available to us today. So whatever you sense God and his spirit saying to you, doing in you, in this service, maybe already has, just say yes to him. Whatever his invitation to you, please say yes because knowing Jesus matters and following him is everything. I wanna thank those of you who are joining us online today. We're just thrilled that you're with us God bless you as you've tuned in. So good to have you. Now, we'll pick up the story. We've been going through the Bible in chronological order through a book called The Story. We'll, we'll enjoy chapter 12 next week. We'll pick it up where we left off. Today, we want to pause to celebrate. You may not know that we're baptizing folks today. At the end of our service, we'll be uh, baptizing about 17 people. And all told, uh, in our three services today, we'll be baptizing 38 people. Isn't that great? Really great. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever ever considered this thought? What does God think of me? What does God think of me? It may cross your mind occasionally, from time to time. Or maybe the answer to that question is like a lightning bolt that comes into your consciousness and suddenly you're aware. That your, that your expectations in this life and your hope for the next life is directly related to the answer of the question, what does God think of me? I want to suggest to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is probably the best indication, the best revelation to us of what God actually thinks of us. I have two points today. We have these baptisms, abbreviated sermon. Two points. Don't get used to it. <laughs> I'm glad I came today. Only two points. Here's the first point He de- descended. He descended. Here's what I mean. The whole of the incarnate work of Christ is the story of descending. We cannot understand Jesus unless we understand His descending. Let me explain. He was a pre-existent, co-eternal word of God through whom God spoke light into existence. Everything we see, everything around us, all of us in, in person was made by him, exists for him, and through him it consists, and to him it will ultimately return. He's got an important role in the universe. He's God. And the Bible says that the word, Jesus, Became flesh and dwelt among us. This is a descent. Consider, he descended from the divine and put on an earth suit. Think about it. Jesus had never known separation from God the Father, he had only known glory and majesty and praise, and yet he was born of a virgin as a helpless baby. He grew up in a carpenter's house. If he stubbed his toe, In the carpenter shop, it would hurt. If he cut his hand on a saw, it would bleed. He ate, he slept, he worked, he lived a life like you and me. He descended from the halls of heaven and the presence of angels all the way down, descended all the way down to the dirt. And we identify with the dirt. That's where we live. We live right here on the ground. Here are some things he never knew. He never knew, for example, temptation. That downward pull of the world, the flesh and the devil. That that pull, that power that all of us experience every day of our lives. That downward gravitational pull of sin. That temptation that comes to us. He never knew. And yet Hebrews 4 reminds us he was tempted in every way that we were and yet without sin. Measure that statement. Every temptation in humanity was thrown at him. Another thing is that he never knew pain. So he goes from a painless existence to to the earth where there's lots of pain. Imagine the moment when Roman soldiers, violent, drunken, demonized, chained him to a post and whipped him with a cat of nine tails until his ribs showed through his back. Pressing the crown of thorns into his head until blood blinds his sight. Pain, a world of pain. We also know that he never knew rejection. In heaven, Jesus was the object of praise and adoration. Think about this. Angels, archangels, beings of infinite variety in the creative mind of God, Old Testament saints all falling before him in worship day and night, singing and swirling and praising with Jesus at the center of all of this affection. It was a descent from that kind of glory to what? The Bible says he was despised and rejected. Not only did he descend in those ways, but he also experienced God-forsakenness. Follow me, if, if you will. He was counted as forsaken by God. When Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing the ultimate descent from the presence of the right hand of God to a moment on the cross when God had turned his back on his own son. Why have you forsaken me? And what's the reason for this? Look at 2 Corinthians 5. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. See, the rejection of God came in a moment when he bore the sins of the world on his own body and in his own soul. So what have we learned? We, We know that he descended into humanity. Temptation, pain, rejection, God forsakenness. Now why? Why would God descend What would his motive possibly be? And we know the answer to the question. He descended for one reason, so that he might identify with you. He understands you. He's lived as we are living, as human beings in the world, motivated by his love. He was on a rescue mission, you understand, forsaking everything in order to claim us as part of his family. Then there was cursedness. Jesus hung there on that cross, the law of Moses stated and was restated in the book of Galatians chapter three, cursed is he that hangs on a tree. Consider this, he who knew no sin, neither could he countenance sin or ever commit sin, never a wrong thought or a motive, never lied, never gossiped, no racial prejudice, no hatred, never knew sin. And then suddenly, imagine this, it's hard to get your mind around. All the lies, all the perversion, all the hatred, the bitterness, the wickedness, the rape, the murder, the immorality, all of the darkness of sin which came out of all of humanity suddenly affixed itself to him. He not only bore the curse, he became the curse for us. Some of you, some of you have said out loud or it's entered into your mind, I am cursed, my family is cursed, this world is cursed, there is no hope for me. Jesus knows cursedness. He who knew no sin became sin. It's really, it's hard to comprehend, isn't it? The sins of the whole world, the cursedness of every sin, every evil committed, resting on his body and his soul. Can't get your mind around that, can you? It's not even possible. It's too much. It's too horrible. And at the same time, it's too wonderful. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. Because what was meant for you and me, he has carried upon himself. Glory to God. And so we have this glorious identification. He descended. Jesus descended. What is it? What does it mean then when we ask the question, what does he think of me? What does he think of you? What do you think this dissent means about how he feels toward you? What can it possibly mean? Every person who's ever awakened in the morning with a hangover, unclear about the previous night, not sure where you've been or what you've done or who you've done it with, feeling horrible, guilty, condemned, ashamed. Imagine your sin. Your guilt, your shame. Jesus descended. He understands. He felt the weight of it in his own body. He gets you. He he feels your pain. He understands it. More than the horror of Roman nails was the weight and darkness of sin which fell upon his own body. Years ago, we sent a team of people from our church, Union Chapel, to Central Asia, to another culture and another place and we, we settled in a little village there, and immediately the inhabitants of that village in Central Asia began to wonder why. Why are these Americans here? They were suspicious. You can understand it. Why would people, living in the comfort and advantages of living in the United States of America, move to this, this middle-of-nowhere village in Central Asia with none of the conveniences None of the comforts. Why, why are they here? And so you can understand their suspicion. They're here to hurt us. They're here to harm us. What possible good motive might they have for being here? There's no reason, rational explanation for them being here. And so they would ask us, are you here to hurt us? Are you here to take from us? Are you here to spy on us? Are you working for the CIA? Well, you hear that and you know, it's almost humorous, but put yourself in their shoes You can understand the confusion and the puzzle of why Americans would choose this kind of life. But what we realized and what they realized over time is that we were not there to take anything from them, but rather to give them the most valuable thing we have, the most important relationship that we know. Can't you hear the message of God here this morning? Can't you see what's happening Don't you understand what God said? He said, look, I'm not in another part of the world untouched by your need, unmoved by the struggles of your life, uncaring about the condition of your own soul. I'm with you. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became us in order to identify with us. He is one of us. He descended. Now, if Jesus descended, here's the second point, he also ascended. Somebody, somebody say yes. He ascended. Having descended, he also ascended. The most triumphant announcement to ever grace the lips of humanity, the most important announcement that any persons have ever heard at any time is an announcement that you have heard already in the context of this service when the pastor announced, good news, Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is alive. That's the greatest announcement you will ever hear or ever utter. One of the great Methodist missionaries of another generation, Dr. E. Stanley Jones, was a missionary for most of his adult life in the nation of India. And there he befriended a Muslim leader, and they had many long and important conversations together. And on one occasion, this Muslim leader said to Dr. Jones, I feel sorry for you Christians. I feel sorry for you. You don't know where your prophet, your Christ, is buried. You don't have a tomb. We in the Muslim faith, we have a tomb. We know where our prophet Muhammad is buried. He's buried in Mecca. He's entombed there. The Buddhists know where Buddha is buried. The Taoists know where Tao is buried. You Christians don't have a tomb. To which Dr. Jones responded to his Muslim friend, what's worse than that? We don't have a body either. (laughs) Hebrews 7 says, therefore, he is able to save completely, that is to the uttermost, those who come to God through him. Ephesians chapter 4 suggests that at the death of Jesus and those three days he was in the tomb, that he actually entered hell. And he kicked the door off its hinges and seized the keys of death, hell, and the grave and rose triumphant by the glorious word of God, the Father Almighty. Hell, therefore, is without power. It has no hold on us. Look on the screen at 1 Corinthians 15. The apostle Paul wrote, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not owe sleep, meaning those of us who die won't stay dead. Where, O death, is your sting? We know the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the hope that we have been given. And this is the reason we celebrate on days like this. When Jesus Christ rose, the requirements of the law, which declared us all condemned, were all nailed to the cross. All of the principalities and powers which aligned themselves against us and accused us of our sins and guilt before God, were led captive in his triumphant procession. Read Colossians chapter two. When Jesus arose, he arose with humanity in his wake. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose with you and me in mind. And this is a wonderful hope. Hell has been rendered powerless. Death no longer has a hold on us, no longer an intimidation to us, no reason to fear it. The grave itself has been defeated. Glory to God. Praise to his name. An older woman on her deathbed requested of her pastor that she be buried with her favorite Bible and a fork in her right hand. Pastor said, I understand the Bible. Explain the fork. She said, well, over the years, when we would have one of these carry-in suppers at church, she said as people were gathering up the, the dishes after the main course, someone would always say, keep your fork. You know what keep the fork means. It means the best is yet to come. It means the best is still ahead of us. The sweetest part, the most satisfying part of the meal is yet to come. And she wanted her pastor to be sure to communicate to everyone celebrating at her memorial service that she was filled with that hope and that everyone could also receive that hope. The best is yet to come. Here's the great truth Jesus descended that he might bankrupt the depth of human suffering, even hell. Not even hell has a hold on us. God wants to be alive in every heart. God wants to live in you. He wants to give you the sky, not the grave. He wants to give you an eternity. He wants to swallow up your yesterdays and give you a future. So, my friend, here's my invitation to you on this Resurrection Sunday. I implore you, I beg you, don't make this a memorial service to a dead Christ make this a Resurrection Sunday to a living Savior who has overcome, descended to look you and me right in the eye so that we too can receive the hope that he alone has provided. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Now, let me just, uh, let me invite the worship team to make their way uh, to the front. And those of you who are candidates for baptism today, if you'll make your way down to this uh, part of the the room. And as they're coming, I want to pray for us. So don't let their movement distract you from, from the prayer, okay? Let's pray. Bow your heads with me, please. Lord, we give you thanks and praise today for the amazing work that you've accomplished on our behalf. And I know there are people here who have had So much death in their experience that they can't believe for life. I know there are people here who are hurting so much they can hardly believe you are alive. So God, I pray that you will breathe faith into them as a gift of your grace. I know there are people here who have known so much bondage that they can hardly believe there can be liberty and freedom. Oh, God, I pray you will liberate by your power. I know there are people here within the sound of my voice today who've done things, they feel so guilty and condemned. They think there's no hope for them. Oh, God, I pray you will show them what you really think of them, the riches of your love, acceptance, forgiveness, and grace. I wonder if there's anyone in the room today or within the sound of my voice who would receive this invitation to know Christ, to say yes to his invitation, to be included in God's family, forgiven of your sins, peace restored in your relationship with God. You can do that by opening your heart, your mind, your life to him, receiving his invitation saying yes to him. I'm going to pray a prayer now that will help you take that step if you're ready to do it. And I invite everyone to join me in praying this prayer in support of that person who may say, yeah, this is my day. I want to be included in God's family. So pray this prayer out loud after me, everyone together, ready? Oh God, forgive me for all the things I've done wrong. I invite you into my life. Fill me with faith, hope, and love. I give my life to you. Thank you for including me in your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, please remain seated, and we'll conduct the baptism.